0: Hello and welcome to Business Extra from The National in Abu Dhabi. Um, You're joining Andy Scott and Mustafa Al-Rawi, the business editor. Uh, Just so I'll give listeners a a proper picture of where we are. We're in the newsroom of The National in the broom cupboard, it would seem. Uh, So if it sounds slightly um, unprofessional. It's because Mustafa and I don't really know what we're doing. However, we're going to give it our best shot today. We're talking about Saudi Arabia and increasing debt levels in the UAE. Mustafa, would you like to take up the uh, the mantle with Saudi?
1: It's been a big week. We've known it's coming um, over the last few weeks because the Deputy Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has been uh, giving interviews to our colleagues at Bloomberg and the Economist, highlighting uh, rapid changes to the economic landscape in the kingdom, including the IPO of Saudi Aramco, the national state oil company, that could value it at two trillion dollars, and also, you know, various reforms aimed at cutting back on some of the spending and really pushing the country away from its dependence on oil. So yesterday, we had the official announcement of this 2030 vision, which includes um, an approval from the king, an approval from the cabinet. So we're in business, if you like. This is really happening. This isn't just the talk of one man, but it seems a, a whole country behind it or the government of a whole country behind it. And some of the details included, I thought, fascinating, a potential green card system that allows, uh, I think, Arabs and Muslims for long-term stays in the kingdom, not just tied to their work. Um, King Abdullah Economic City, which is a huge financial hub that is pretty much from you know, anecdotal conversations almost empty um, because they haven't attracted enough people that that will be some kind of you know, free free zone um, that will hopefully encourage many professionals to come and be based there also you're going to have a revamp of the defense sector so there'll be a defense investment holding company also a lot of the defense needs will be met at home which will probably have the likes of BAE Systems and Boeing and Northrop Grumman and all these guys quaking in their boots. It's true, there are gonna be huge
0: ramifications on this. And let me just, sorry to interrupt, but when we say, we talk about Saudi's dependency on oil, we weren't just talking about the revenues. I was looking at the fact that uh, in 2013, they used, this is domestically, 25% of their oil. That's going up five, 6% every year. And by 2028, they were gonna be a net importer of oil. So it's not just this uh, economic dependency. It's a physical dependency they
1: have on it. And therefore, the whole of society needs restructuring. He called it an addiction, the Deputy Crown Prince, (laughs) an addiction to oil, a dangerous addiction. I guess there is no addiction that isn't dangerous by by definition. But it it was interesting that he was being very, very um, bullish on this idea that they can do it. He called 2020 as the date. Of when they'll be free of this addiction Which is in anyone's book Is ambitious Now you know let's say It's, it's been 24 hours So let's say okay 2020 They'll be free of their dependence Perhaps uh, the non-oil sector Will be 65% of GDP From what is around 40 now Perhaps going from 163 billion in non-oil revenues They will reach a trillion In non-oil revenues by then Let's say they make all of that even if they make half of that, even if they get to sort of 50% from 40%, that's massive.
0: It is massive, although there was, a, while it was incredibly forthright for a Saudi proclamation, there was still a lot of nebulous data in there, not, nothing so stringent about the tax regulations which were mentioned, but not, I mean, you know, obviously income tax, VAT, you name it. There could be a, a raft of, of, of new legislation, but there was nothing specific in that. Way.
1: My guess is given one of our stories last week uh, that there are there was 1.5 billion dollars worth of consulting work in Saudi alone last year. I'm assuming there's an army of these guys from McKinsey and everyone else working out the details as as we go along. Maybe. And you know, I'm sure that you know the big picture has been taken care of and now it's all a matter of you know execution. And in that execution we'll find out how tangible all this is. I mean, the the big Um, implication here is not so much the economic change but the implied social changes and the almost opening up of Saudi Arabia perhaps in the same way that you know China was opened up 20 or 30 years ago a very conservative society that now given these ambitions means that they will have to shed some of those conservative Factors to go forward.
0: Well, one must presume, I mean, we are sitting, what, two hours from the Saudi border in, the, in, in where the Abu Dhabi media offices are. And they must have looked at the UAE and seen how it has become a, a modern forthright
1: country. We, the IMF uh, were, was in Dubai yesterday. They were in Dubai, or at least their analysts were, uh, and giving a new uh, forecast for the region. They lowered their forecast for growth to under 2% this year. But what was interesting was where, where is their growth? At least, no, not there is growth everywhere, but where is there a faster rate of growth? Dubai. And Dubai is definitely a very good example of how you diversify away from oil. I mean, this is not an overnight project. They've been working on this for good on 30 years, I think, yeah. when the penny dropped, yeah. that they would have to. And they had that urgency. Now, they created their urgency, or they had an ability to create that because their oil reserves were dwindling. And now it's something like 96% non-oil revenue funds their budget. For Saudi Arabia and the rest of the region, including Abu Dhabi, that urgency is very much here because oil prices are below $50.
0: But isn't that often the problem, which is often, it's been called the curse of oil. It's when you launch these projects without a necessary profit motive which Dubai definitely had. Anything that is built in Dubai, which is, I, I know we mentioned uh, off-air, when they're, they're now building this tallest tower, shock horror, uh, in Dubai. But that doesn't have a profit motive, which is one of the first that I, I can remember, which doesn't have that commercial background to it, which is what Saudi is going to have to do.
1: Yes, they're going to have to tie up everything they do to a financial payoff in the end. Because they're trying to get higher revenues from non-oil parts of the sector, so they know they have the the difference here. I think is um, they they have a target that they need to hit to close the gap. So if they if the whole region, I think the IMF said, was something like a 400 billion dollar shortfall in oil revenues or in generally in revenues because of the oil price, with Saudi probably taking the bulk of that, that means they know exactly exactly what the gap that they have to fill. So in some ways they're not. It's not a hit and hope. They have to say, okay, we have to reach this. How do we reach it? So D- Dubai, in many ways, had to sort of charge this path on its own and hope that it kind of hit numbers yeah, that were yeah, sustainable. There are benchmarks for right. Saudi, but exactly, we know we know what we know where they need to get to and by when. But in the meantime, and I think this is the big difference, um, where Dubai struggled was the nature of the credit they took on. I mean, forget personal credit. I mean, they had you know, a credit crunch of their own um, to the tune of, you know, I think, a shortfall of something like 25 to $30 billion that we know of. Yes. Um, but in, in terms of their GDP, it's well over 100%. Saudi is borrowing. They, they're borrowing in the local market. They're borrowing in international markets. They will borrow not um, in, in a haphazard way across the economy where all companies are, are taking on debt that they can't afford they will actually be taking on good debt if there's any such thing. Well, hang
0: on, I'm going to have to stop you there, Mustafa. We could talk about Saudi for ad infinitum. Uh, at the weekend, we had uh, the Nationals' first debt round roundtable. Uh, we've had an increasing amount of communication to our desk with the fact of people struggling with the amount of debt they've taken on. Uh, this was one... Of our panelists.
2: Oh, I'm my salary is approximately fourteen thousand three hundred. But every month I have, I'm paying. Uh, for the loan is approximately fifteen thousand. How much? And making? fifteen thousand for the loan. Against the, the salary payments. of fourteen. Yeah.
0: And your payments 15000 fifteen.
2: Yes. And beyond that, there is three credit cards. So at least I have to make the minimum payment of that. So sometimes uh, like I cannot pay the payment of credit cards because of that there is loss, many calls are coming. Even though I am trying to make the minimum payment but sometimes it doesn't. The problem is I want to pay whole amount but the debt, the amount which I have to pay every month is much more than my salary. Now what I am trying is to have some um, some of the amount from the India, from my country, and uh, to pay some amount and buy out two loans in one, so the liability will come decrease and it will come up to uh, twelve thousand. So I can save two uh, two and, two and a half thousand for survival. But the problem is when it is going to Etihad Bureau because now they are checking each and everything. This is very good system. So the person can control and monitor. This is very good. But the thing is, those who are already trapped, because of there is no system. Yeah, there is a system, but there is some lack. Because of that, and some of our fault, we are already trapped. So what will be the solution for us? Because if I will not pay the amount, there will be an action, right? So definitely they will be, they will make a legal action against me so, or maybe I will go to jail or in case of, I don't, I can, I'm, I'm not able to face this kind of problem, so what at the end I will do, I will escape from.
0: So Mustafa, uh, sound pretty emotional, fairly evocative.
1: I think all of us have had experience with debt, personal debt, credit. of some kind since we moved to the UAE in the region. We've found increasingly, as we've done more and more coverage on this issue of the rising tide of personal debt in the UAE for a whole host of reasons, um, that we've been getting more and more reader feedback on this issue. So we put together, Alice Hain, our uh, personal finance editor, worked very hard to put together a panel of experts, including Abu Dhabi Islamic Bank's head of credit, uh, Karen Bobka, who's been writing for us, uh, helped Colin for some time. Amberine uh, Moussa, who's um, from Sukalmal, Mal. Uh, you know, other experts who have helped us to come up with a plan for how to help people avoid the pitfalls of excessive debt.
0: However, that's for people who aren't in debt as yet. For those who are in debt, it still seems a fairly well, bleak I picture. I think we're
1: all in debt. I think that's the, the takeaway. But some of us are in debt we can manage, and some of us are not we're well past the point of help but what we're hoping to do by raising the issue as the government works towards this and as banks work on this we're expecting a bankruptcy law anytime now until that happens i've
0: heard that before
1: yes we have but that's why i say anytime Um, (laughs) not now but anytime Um, and we try to compile um, a few pointers from the panel on sunday that will feed into our debt panel column that will kick off now um, to try and help people avoid the worst scenarios
0: do you think that there is a, a real um, uh, motivation for uh, the government to help people in debt because it is often seen as somewhere as a fairly draconian place when it comes to debt
1: and it hasn't been the easiest place to be you know a bankrupt a bankrupt person or an insolvent person um, however Everybody recognizes that needs to change now the pace of change may not be coming as quickly for some But certainly that's the way it's going so in the meantime. We need to educate ourselves We need to speak about it. We need to raise it so that when the when the law does come in to help us we're not just Continuously producing more and more victims of excessive debt that people are able to manage it in a way because the cost of living is real It's rising, you know as, as you say um, when you when you take a house when you do anything here, you need to take some form of credit. So it's not going away. So how we manage it, that's, that's the key to this.
0: We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you very much for listening to uh, the inaugural uh, business podcast. And hopefully you'll tune in next week.